Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here. Electronically Yours, as always. Today's guest is a very old friend of mine. Known him uh, since 81, probably. We're both Soho habitués, love that word. And we're bo- we both came to London around about the same time, actually. And our paths are kind of, in a lot of ways, quite similar. Um, except he's, um, I'm still kind of, you know, Hem 17 still going and Blue Rondo El Turk, which is most famous for, um, isn't. His name is Chris Sullivan. He DJs um, a lot on Soho Radio. You can listen to his mixes on the internet. Um, he's a great painter. He did all the early paintings for Blue Rondo El Turk albums. He's a fashion commentator actually he's done stuff for lots of uh, magazines men's magazines he's an author he's a real uh, renaissance man uh, to put it bluntly i've got a lot of time for him he's a go-to kind of guy if you want something interesting and exciting his entire life is driven by creativity and in this talk we do now there's some very funny stories um about you know Iggy and Bowie and you name it. Lots of very interesting things I think you'll find. So here he is, the one and only Chris Sullivan. So tell us about um, growing up in Wales, in Milton Sidwell. Um, well, I grew up in a sort of really big Catholic family, went to Catholic school, uh, which had its problems because it was during the Troubles, so it was quite rough growing up in Milford Tidville with my massive family, and my dad's one of ten. So it was that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it was it was rough growing up right of, you know, poor, very poor. Uh, worked, my father was a spray paste... <laughs> Painted washing machines in Hoover's on the on the assembly line. He did three shifts, which entailed eleven till seven, uh, six till four in the afternoon, and nine o'clock at night. And uh, yeah, so it was three shifts: one afternoon, one evening. And so that 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 maintained a really unusual family life in that we didn't have one. And uh, so he was also a big drinker. So that was the other thing. So, throughout, you know, so it was that. And, you know, while I was there, as I said, in terms of music and all that business, I mean, I wasn't really, uh, I did, we didn't have a record player till I was 13. So yeah. my mother saved up for it. It was a, a me, I think it was called a, it was a red diffusion, I believe. And it was, it was bought on, on you know, monthly payments. And uh, yeah. I just picked a lot, you know, I, I, I actually had records. But I didn't have a record player. <laughs> the first one I had, I think, was long. It was I. I think it was long shot. Kick the bucket. I think was the first record. Long I ever shot. Kick the bucket. Or Rams Goat Liver. One of those two. Pluto Shervington. One of those two. And then my mother had a K's catalogue, and she, you know, she. I was like, I knew a bit about music, not a lot. My, I, I mean, my, my auntie was into David Bowie, and I quite thought he was good. And I was rattling around as a young suede head going to you know skinhead suede head dances dancing about to all the usuals liquidators i am you know all the standard don't forget because this was 70s wales we didn't have the benefit then of importing all these rare studio one records it was basically dandy livingston it was uh all those you know original sort of 
reggae singles that we, we, we all grew up on. So it was all that to begin. And then with it came the clothes and the state. And it was about that time I had a paper round. I used to get £1.75 a week. And that amounted in my head then to one Brutus shirt a week. <laughs> and then, yes. And then I love <laughs> Brutus shirts. They were, they, that was a big thing in Sheffield as well. Oh, a big thing. Yeah, a big thing. And then, of course, another thing was I won a drawing competition on the back of a back of a ice cream. I think it was Fab 208. And yes. I won a year's supply of comics. Oh I, I sold swap. I swapped them with my news agent, the guy who employed me as a paper print, to buy uh, a pair of Levi 501s and, and the jacket, the tracker jacket to go with it. So that was my kind of own tray into via the, via the art. I got my first pair of Levi's, then came the Dr. Martins, then the Stay Press. But it was very sparse, you know, really. I couldn't afford a Crombie or thing like that. So, yeah, so that was my own tray into that, you know, and as time went on, you know, as as you know as well, all the suede started listening to more soul music, and I started going to youth clubs when I had a few seven inches. Started DJing and was given some Northern Soul records and or soul records, which in those days they weren't like you know stuff you'd go in Wigan. They were just like you know Jackie Wilson and stuff like that. You know, they weren't rare ones. That's when I started DJing on one deck. I was about fourteen, and then we used to go to the shop called Robert Barker's, which was a shop in. No, that's the only shop where you get the big 28 wide bags with the three plates and they used to have the the t-shirts the cap sleeve t-shirts with the with the they'd have the panther on them or they'd have a yeah uh, like a big dark remember or they had I the, remember the, the, the um the, didn't Anthony, didn't anthony price invent invent the cap sleeve t-shirt he did he certainly did as as he told me once he, he looked um influenced by shan and the and the tom of finland illustrations if you look at tom of finland they're always tight with really tight sleeves yeah. you look at them, and that's, that's what he's looking for so that, that from the kind of uh was that a gay thing originally i suppose it was gay but tom of finland was the big gay yeah. illustrator yeah all the leather and all that anyway so that whole 50s look that kind of swept was was influenced by you know gay gay drawings gay literature of course we didn't know that in Merthyr no, 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 no. Yeah. so then after that came the bowling shirts and they used to have a, a dance up there on a Friday uh, at the Miners Institute where they used to play Northern Soul. So I got into the Northern Soul. Then then they discovered they were running buses from from for Blackwood every Saturday morning, Saturday eleven o'clock up to Wigan. So I started doing that when I was about fourteen because you could be any age there because they didn't sell alcohol. So you know we get up there. We used to go to Blackpool Mecca first if we got there in time. Was then bowled down there. And then the only the only problem was. Uh, after a while, the priest kind of cottoned on to the fact that these, you know, these busloads of most of them were like, and they, 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 this, this was they were all ex swedes I'd say twenty percent of being in prison. Uh, I like your special kind of effects clothes. in the background. Very good. I, I like <laughs> the special effects. Yeah, yeah the urban <laughs> living. Yeah, so yeah, so I started going up there then, and that gave me a taste for the clubs. And actually, that gave me the idea when I started the wag, really, that that uh, on on all my warehouse parties, that you know, you if you have a crowd, you just get a place that's empty, as in Wigan Casino, because it's shut at twelve. Fill it full of your people, and Bob's your uncle. There's the night. And uh, unfortunately, with us though, the the police cottoned on to the our buses were full of contraband, yes. uh, as robbed from one of the very various chemists that were just laying idle in the little towns all around Wales. You know, so. 
and we used to get stopped all the time. But we, we then we had to send cars up separately <laughs> to meet us at the top. Yeah, then after that, we got the Yates Sterling Suite, which was in Bristol. That was an old day, yeah. And of course, in there, I, I they, they had a funk room with my great friend Paul Guntrip. He was the DJ. And then I got into the funk music, and that's when I was in Wales. So that's Excellent. part of the story, anyway. It, it, it's a kind of a convoluted. It's almost like a. It's almost you can almost trace my path by touching it on various experiences and nightclubs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And um, so you you've got a kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, don't you? I mean, you, you've you've always kind of run nightclubs, and yeah, it's only because it's been because when I was a kid, for example, when I lived in Merthyr, which is very very rough, you couldn't go out in the Bowie suits. We all had these Bowie suits made, as in young, uh, as in both David Live. Yep. We all had them. We couldn't go out in because you'd get attacked physically all the time. So one night we decided to go to uh, Newport. And there was more of us. And I thought, hang on, if I can get 12 people together and get a minibus, if I get a minibus, they pay, I don't. <laughs> so I started, I used to run, and I was only 15. <clears throat> friends are four years older than me because I, I, I hang out with all the people who are always four years older than me because it's just that was how it was. The people in my neighborhood that took it under my wing, there was a couple around two years older than me. So I'd get a bus, and then those buses became coaches, which I took them to London, Bristol. And I guess that's where it started. But it was more, I don't, I don't think it was, it was not so much entrepreneurial because I never actually thought about the money side of it. I was more the man that wanted to facilitate the party and for people having a good time. Yeah. You know, making it easy for everybody. That's what it was. And, you know, the money, I mean, I, I, mean, I didn't make money. I, mean, I just got, I just got my ticket free. That was it, you know? And, uh, yeah, so I guess that's how it began. Uh, but as I said, it's entrepreneurial, really. But all the things I've done haven't been, like the wag I started basically, and all the other clubs I did, like the warehouse parties I did in '78, were more self-preservation than anything else. I just wanted to create a place where, because people forget, I had this conversation with somebody the other day. In those days, if you walked down the street with a berry on, you'd get attacked. You know, so I created these havens where people could go and just be safe. I mean, when I, I first my first warehouse party was in December '78. I did it with Robert Elms and. Melissa Kaplan and a few others. I mean, we lost, we had free drinks all night. and we, we lost 35 quid, which was, we only lived on eight pound a week. But it was more <laughs> like, you know, finding, finding a place where people could go and listen to good music. And because I'm musically intolerant as well, that's the other thing. I can't oh, do yeah. it. Music is shit. I just can't. I have to leave. Whether it be a pub, I can't, can't do it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The, uh, I mean, the wag. Uh, club for the for the listeners who aren't familiar. I mean, you should be familiar with it, but I mean, it, like we talk about the Blitz Club and everything in London and various other clubs, uh, and that was really largely associated with um, not just the music but the fashions at the time mm. and the new romantics. But the Wag Club, which you were the don of, uh, was really about the music. Uh, and I know people like dressing up as well, but it was much more of a kind of cool thing, right? Yeah, and what it was, it was based when you 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 were on the same tip as I was, really. I mean, you know, I was I was exactly where you were when you did being boiled, yeah. and I was exactly where you when you did penthouses and pavements. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I I reacted against that two men in front of a synthesizer look, and I yeah. went back to the funk. And it was it, for me, it was a, a blue rondo as well. It was a a purposeful mood because. I didn't really look, look that good in makeup and a dress. So, so, I went for, 
So I started wearing these big suits, suits too, so all the rest are all for the air. And I gave the hand painted tie and and you know the you know like and I saw a picture once of Dizzy Gillespie and I thought I want to look like him. Yeah, so yeah. That was based on around 1979-80. That's what I took. And of course, as I'd been a soul boy before, because after after I went to the Northern Soul thing, I went to Bournemouth for a Northern Soul all day. Why this is August '75. While I was there, I met all these guys in like peg trousers and Hawaiian shirts and plastic sandals with Buzz Aldrin haircuts. And I thought, oh, this is great. So they like because I could dance a lot because the Northerns they love my dancing and they invited me up. And I came up. I think it was September the 19th. I came up and um, I went and they took. They took. I was down the King's Road and somebody said, oh, go to Crackers. So I went to Crackers and that that basically was one of the impetuses of the WAG really because Crackers was a gay club fundamentally. But you had black, white, yeah. Gay, straight, lesbians, but if, because the style then amongst those people, if you get me attractions, you could buy a leather jacket with studs, and they've got the lettered rock leather studs. You could buy a forties pegs a peg trousered suit. You could buy a sixties plastic see through Mac. You could buy a Mary Quant mini skirt. So the, the clientele reflected that in there. There was all these different, you know. I want about early, early. I am before it went down the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the very you know dancey route, and it was all guys with perms and all that. Initially, it was a real mixed club. So that's what I was trying to do with the wag, really, was something like... I'll come back to the wag in a sec. I just want to rewind to the King's Road at that moment in time, because Mm. I was completely overwhelmed with um, all the clothes shops, the the kind of record stores, the the vibe down there, and the the, the parade of vintage cars and all that Mm. stuff. It was a... It was beyond my imagination coming from Sheffield and all that stuff. Yeah. And I really loved it. And I, the first things I, I bought when I decided to get fashionable in uh, in 1980 was uh, from Johnson's. Remember Johnson's, right? Yeah, yeah. It was in Kensington Market, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. They had one on King's Road as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. Um, I loved their stuff. And I thought, I'd never yeah, worn anything like this in my life. You know, the kind of yeah. uh, raw silk suits and yeah. all that yeah. beautiful. I mean, because I wasn't really into the kind of... Uh, I, I, I did wear all that uh, kind of uh, soul boy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I had a, I had 18 button Oxford bags with 30-inch bell bottoms and all yeah, that stuff and, and really tight shirts. And I was actually skinny in those days, so, you know. Yeah. But um, I loved all that stuff, and and uh, but it was still there was all, it wasn't so much about the suits and stuff in Sheffield. It was all about kind of like Harrington's and yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. Of stuff. So anyway, yeah. So coming to Kings Road, it was like massively glamorous. Now yeah. I think you're like a magpie. You're a you're attracted to shiny things, aren't you? You are definitely yeah. a glamorous type. Yeah. Well, when when because when when they said come up to King's Road, I used to get the seven twenty bus from Merthyr Tydfil. Used to arrive at midday on the spot at Victoria. We get the number eleven bus, get off at Sloan Square, and then just walk the length and breadth. Well, the first time I just couldn't believe it. I mean, we were me and my friends. We were in a minority in Wales. There's probably six of us. I was it, and probably only one. You know, was. We just couldn't believe it. We walked down, somebody came up, some girls who looked like, who had this asymmetric haircut, this absolutely perfect, like, 1950s stuff, and the, the martini heels and all this. Come on, oh, are you a yeah. spiv? I went, I don't know. You know what's that? <laughs> I, 
as we walked down, it was like wedge haircuts, quiffs. And it was like, I was like, fuck it. But every, you know, not everybody, but it was this definitely went into Acme Attractions and he went downstairs and Don Letts was playing his really heavy duty, big, big youth, like screaming Target, you know, <laughs> all the stuff. <laughs> All these people were you had originals, moccasin fronted, fifty shoes. You had, and he walked down, and he went to Troy's shop down the little alleyway in the market, and then he kept on walking. There was a few shops there. Then you and you eventually ended up at Sex or Let It Rock, whatever it was called then. So it was a proper, it was a promenade, you know. And on the way, you'd meet all these people, and some of one one night they said go to Crackers. Other nights it'd be house parties or. That was our version of the internet, I guess. If you went down there on a Saturday and you were dressed in a certain mode, as in we used to call it soul boys then, but it was, yeah. you know, on the peg trousers and the, you know, you by the end, by the time you're halfway down, you'd have three parties to go to and, and a club night, and that's what we used to do because we were from Wales. We and of course then I got to know people, and it's kind of spread from there really. But it was you know coming from like you drab. Murphy Tidville Industrial, where he wears grey and men are still wearing dye caps and smoking roll-ups and women still look like Ina Sharples. <laughs> <laughs> Albert Tatlock. <laughs> yeah. That's that Stan Ogden. That's what Murphy Tidville sums up Murphy Tidville. So you come from there and all the people are like, you know, they all they all look like football hooligans with a feather cut hair. And you come onto this place, pink peg trousers, yellow, yellow mohairs. Plastic yeah. sandals, winkle pickers. Oh, oh, ex great. Exotic creatures, really. Oh, isn't it? Amazing. I wanted a part of it straight away. And my mission from then on was to get, get up there soon as and become a part of it, which I soon did. Yeah. And um, I just thought of something because, you know, I, I had an apartment in Italy for like nearly 30 years. And, they had, you know, as you know, it's a big thing in Italy, this uh, passeggiata thing, this, yes. uh, you, uh, you know, showing yourself off. It sticks. It's, it's social glue. It sticks you together with your community, but also yeah. seeing what other people are wearing. It's very fashion yeah. conscious. This yeah. concept of the, uh, uh, you know, the the, the in the evening is a big thing all over Italy, and really Kings Road, as you quite rightly identified, is like that. And so so is Carnaby Street, but yeah. you know, Carnaby Street was more commercial somehow. It was less of a scene. What did you say? And, and, and also Carnaby Street was small. Yeah. So it just the actual geographical length of the King's Road was was what was significant. You know, exactly. Two hours to walk down there, stop off for a pint in the Trafalgar and say hello to somebody. And and don't forget at that time as well, it was the Rocky Horror Picture Show was on at that time as well. So there was all that kicking off. Then you had, you know, Roxy Music was doing their bit. You know, David Bowie. For, for, I know David Bowie. He just took one, as Ziggy Stardust, he just took one walk down the King's Road. And then he went, I'm going to be a soul boy. Yeah, exactly. They were way before him. He had the quiff, the haircut. I mean, that was completely robbed, which is good. He was a gannet and he was good, great at it. And he did it really well. But it was a street look from, I'd say, some of my friends, the original sort of um, London soul boys. I mean, they were dread. I've got a few pictures of them in like 72, 73 with a 42nd. Really? One of whom actually was Roger Burton, you remember. He, because all the people who were acting attractions were from Derby, a lot of them. Uh, Roger Burton and, you know, and they used, they used to sell second-hand 40s team mob suits. So there was a lot, they, they were all ex-mods, but a lot of them came to London. In fact, Acme Attractions, I think Helen was from Derby. I think three of them were, were, were ex-mods who got into the trade, you know? So there was a real sort of, you know, 
London is in London. London is made up of people from the outside, you know. That's right, exactly, like us, yeah. yeah. And um, so, you know the the suit, uh, which I think we alluded to earlier, the suit on the front of David Live, the kind of yeah. box cut, yeah. kind of almost like a yeah straight at the bottom, right? All yeah. that stuff. Uh, Glenn actually bought one of those, I think, from Anthony Price. Mm. Well, as soon as he got any money from Heaven 17. Yeah. He yeah. looked fucking awesome in it. I mean, anybody would. But that's all from the uh, from the kind of forties thing, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of a tail. It's kind of a tailored, hammered sort of you know sort of like zoot suit really. But yeah, yeah. There's a funny story with that. That suit was created by Tommy Roberts, who had a shop in in um, in uh, Covent Garden, in Shorts Gardens in Covent Garden. And of course, he went bankrupt. Guess why? Um, yeah. Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols r r robbed the shop and took all of those suits. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, this is another funny story. I've got this from Paul Cook as well. When they did the Last Stand tour, the Bowie one at Hammersmith, you know, Paul and Steve, they come from Hammersmith. They robbed the, the back line before. Oh. They, they nicked the drum kit and the speakers yeah, for their band. And it almost stopped that 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 particular concert going on. So it's funny when you think that you know the David Bowie's backline was was gave the Sex Pistols their start. I think Glenn. Uh, I did an interview with Glenn Matlock, and I think he mentioned something about all this. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were they were just petty criminals. Totally, and that's that's why that's what the reason why Malcolm because I was around when it was all happening because I was I've been going there that shop where I got friendly with Jordan and. Used to me got the end of the king. We used to hang out there, have a pack can of beer with Jordan and Michael Collins and all the early people. And I saw it, you know. But basically, you know, Malcolm thought he was faking. These artful dodgers. Yeah, I can and see the that. The more criminal they were, the more he liked them. I can see that, you know. No, it's, it, it, it's a big giveaway. He's got one T-shirt, which he did, which I used to have, but it was stolen. And it's got it's got Dickensian London on it, and it's got it's got uh, like some sort of I think it's a Hogarth drawing or something like that. And it's got like all Dickensian writing. That's his stick entirely. Was you know the whole thing, and so the Sex Pistols in his mind were a reinterpretation. Uh, uh, it's like Oliver, yeah. Yeah, that's why when, when Leiden came in, because he was a, basically a, like a traveller type from, you know, Arsenal. He liked him because he was, you know, completely wrong. And well, <laughs> he's proved, proved that to be the case now, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah anyway. Um, so let's go back to um, how did you get signed with Blue Rondo then? With Virgin. Um, well, what happened was, well, I got to go back to the beginning with this. When, when all that new romantic stuff was going on, I started a club with Steve Strange and Rusty Egan called Hell, where I just re got all my old funk singles and started playing all that stuff and Latin stuff I had completely against the grain. And then he went off. Like, so I went to New York and for six weeks and I was in New York and I, I just got, I was living in 10th Avenue A and I just saw all this great music and the South Sur and the Jazz, went to see Dark Pepper and R. Blakey, sorry. And I come back and I thought, well, if Spandau can do it, I can do it. No no idea, never played an instrument. So I started off with me and Christos, then I had Ollie, and slowly but surely, um, it kind of grew. Next thing we know, people are writing, we had a face, wanted to see a picture of us. Then next thing we know, we toured it, we, we got the bands working. 
And then, so we just took the bull by the horns, really. And we did, you know, we did like 12 concerts under assumed names before we even should, should let people see us because we had to get our chops together, you know. So what, fact, was the, what was the assumed names? Oh, all kinds. I can't remember now. Oh, I, can't remember, I, I wish I could remember. I remember one we did one in the Cock Tavern in Edmonton and the old, the youngest person there was 75. And <laughs> the only people that were awake was my wife and my mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Cock in Edmonton, I forget that. <laughs> yeah, so it was that. We really, yet also, the finding the band was really hard. It was like Magnificent Seven, you know. I had one, and then I had then I, Mark Riley, went Matt Bianco. He was another person I knew from Northern Soul. Right. He got another Northern Soul, like the great dancer Moses Mombasa. He got him. Then I put an ad in the paper, and then I found the Brazilian drummer. He brought a Brazilian bass player. Then I found a jazz pianist. It kind of grew like that, really. It was really all good, but it was hard, you know, really hard to find Brazilian or Latin percussionists in yeah, yeah. 1980s London. They just weren't around. You just didn't yeah. get them, and it was like four of them. So how long did you did you know Christos before this then? Well, I Christos was he was kind of he, he, I we just got on and he used to come to the Blitz the, the latter days and he always used to come to my events you know like the Hell and right. all of my things and you know and he he lived with his mum in a in a tower block in in Dalston so you know he used to come and just stay for like days and days and days and end with me really. I mean, but I mean Christos, I keep bumping into him from time to time. He still looks amazing, didn't he? I mean, yeah. you do too, but, you know, yeah. he, re he really looks like fucking hell. Is, yeah. is there a painting in the attic somewhere? Yeah, you know, he, 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 I'll tell you one thing. I said, God, your hair's looking good. He said, yeah, yeah, cost enough. Yeah, you know, I, I, I did tell him. But he said, I, I said, when your girlfriend is running her running hand through her hair, are you, are you telling her they really, the, the hair's from your arse? <laughs> <laughs> Quite obvious, not other hair transplant, you know, but he, he's Greek to begin with. Have great skin. He, he looks after himself. He eats really good food, and uh, yeah, he, and he hasn't drunk or smoked for like twenty five years. So that would be that would probably do it, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, if what, I, a what a lovely guy! I've always got on well with Christos. Yeah. But he's, he's just you know. And you know he's far more informed and intelligent than people know. But you know he's if you could you can talk to him about architecture. I mean we I've I've I've, I've had him write in on some of my projects about Caravaggio and I mean he's really well informed, but he he doesn't really spout out about it. You know. So right, he, right. Is, yeah, did you so you went to art college, right? Yeah. 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 And did did you meet a lot of interesting people there that you kept in touch with? Um, yes, yes, because a lot of a lot of my lot, of course, they went, went on to become quite famous, especially in St. Martin's. You had, I mean, I, I, the funny, the most famous ones I'm not in touch with, like John Galliano and people like that, but people like Stephen Jones, Sade, I'm not in touch with, she's in my years, year below me. Stephen Jones and the hat maker, I'm in touch with. You've got Fiona Dealey and all them, all that blitz lot I'm in touch with, basically. Right, apart. right. Dylan Jones, I'm in touch with. Um, yeah, all, I'm in touch with the more higher end. Ones because the rest have all done gone done weird stuff, you know, like you know, yeah, you know, but I, they wouldn't be in my circles really. Right, uh, and so you obviously uh, you designed the Blue Rondo covers, is that right? Yeah, painted them all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And because uh, I, I really love your painting style, it's yeah, obviously yeah, very yeah. Cubist influence. Who, who's your yeah. favourite artist? Would you say oh, that, that's a really hard question because I can't. I, I would say they, when you do, I I I I did um, 
uh, art history in, in college as well as a degree. And they call it a categorical eye in that you, you can't really compare Mark Rothko to Caravaggio. No, of course. And that is why it's hard to say your favourite painter. You have to say what, where, you know, it's like... All right, in that kind of cubist world or... or oh, in that, uh, yes, in that cubist thing, it would be Juan Gris, it would be okay. Lionel, Juan Gris, Lionel Feininger, uh, Marcel Duchamp for, you know, New Descendants Staircase. That would probably be my top three in that genre, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And what... And Picasso do you... as well, to a certain point, but I prefer Picasso's line drawings, the one that he puts on pottery. Or yes. good, uh, that kind, that's kind of my thing, and it's not. It's funny, it's, it's like with the jazz music. It's not because I deliberately wanted to ape that, or it's just when I saw it, it hit a nerve. I when I was a kid, I listened to the jazz music. I thought this is it. When my mother used to get a little atomic, you know, sort of almost cubisty country guy, I said, "Oh, I love those." You know, yeah. I something that just hit me when I from a young age. It wasn't. It was. It wasn't. It was. You know, knowing something you like. You, it's like, say like a food stuff. You have it, you love it, and it repaints your best thing throughout your life. It was like that. I mean, from the age of five or six, I just loved all that kind of 50s, 60s, sweary. Wow. And do, have you done, I mean, do when you went to art college, did you learn proper figurative drawing, life drawing, yeah. and all that stuff? And... Well, I went to Campbellwell, yeah, which is the most academic school. I mean, I did the first two months uh, from nine until six every day life drawing. Right. With models, you know, that, that was for two months. And then the next two months after that, I did life painting for two months, same thing. Then I did sculpture. Then that's where I learned. Because I also learned that kind of, you know, um, William Coldstream, that, that really mapping, that I, that's how I draw, you see. I, I draw with I sort of, you know, uh, at angles, and obviously, obviously the angle will make a circle, rather, like a 50-feet piece. That's how I was taught to draw. So that's our life drawing because it's like a puzzle. So that kind of links in to the way I paint as well because it's all about you know it's perspective and angles and I really like as well kaleidoscopes and I like really like I really like stained glass windows the way the light refracts and changes. That's basically what I'm on at the moment. Oh, I, I just did one. I just finished one today, uh, which I'm going to send to somebody, which I, I've done and I've based it on the 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 the, the, the Caravaggio and the last meal where Jesus is like that, you know, but I've turned him into a rather dubious looking blonde, pink head, may, might be a tranny. <laughs> <laughs> might be. Yeah, might be. Yes. I'm friends with um, Brian Clark, who, who's uh, 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 his specialist thing for the last 40 years yeah. has been giant scale uh, yeah. uh, stained glass windows. For oh, like right, right. palaces around the world, and wow. he does amazing things. He, 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 his kind of contemporaries were Gilbert and George, and all that stuff. Yeah, I remember him well because he had that mad girlfriend with the spiky hair and the funny yeah. dark. Remember, uh, that's right. I once went to a party with at his house, I was friends with him for quite a while, and um, and uh, at the party was Paloma Picasso and yeah. and all the kind of luminous, oh, yeah, um, j uh, you know, the Jagger woman, uh, yeah. and all those kind of. People who you think would be in a, 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 a an advert for like what a party should look like. Yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. so he said to me, he said to me, um, he pulled me on one side and he took me into the toilet. He said, "I've got a great eye." Because oh, for some reason at the time we were into taking uh, menthol snuff, white yeah. menthol snuff, and he yeah. said, "Martin, Martin, come into the toilet. I'm I'm gonna." <clears throat> 
I want you to smear <clears throat> the menthol snuff all over my nose like this. And I want you to do the same. We're going to go back out into the party and pretend we don't know anything about it and see what the reaction of all these kind of posh, you know, uh, uh, society types are going to get, whether they'd actually say, um, you've got a little bit, you know. <laughs> so we did. It was fucking hilarious because yeah. they didn't want to say anything because Brian was the yeah. host of the party. So he yeah, really, yeah. really got over this up. It was all over here and everything. Yeah. I think I went to one of his parties once with Steve Strange back in like 81 or something. I definitely did. I definitely did. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. salon yeah. kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely did. Yeah, yeah. I remember it now. Uh, yeah, because uh, it was there, uh, Andrew, the jewellery designer was there, and Sandra Rhodes, and it was all that kind of people, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. There's... George were there, and it was all that kind of thing. Yeah, it was, I, I was really impressed. I was, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you would be, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would be. <clears throat> I did uh, we did a, we did a project together, didn't we? With the yes. Nasso Portraits thing. That was really cool, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think anything? I've got another opportunity for you. Um, I'm doing a uh, I'm doing an event. Uh, mm. It's looking 99% certain to happen at Reba next autumn. Uh, mm. They're looking to do more kind of stuff that's facing the public. Did you say Riga? Reba. Where's that? Royal Institute of British Architects. Oh, sorry, sorry. You have to explain me. I'm not really good with acronyms. You have to All right. Me. So it's a huge uh, Art Deco building on uh, Portland Place. I know. No, I know it. I love the building. Absolutely yeah. love it. And they've got, I didn't know this, but they've got a giant uh, theatre downstairs, well, not giant, a big theatre downstairs, which right, is all done right. out in original art deco wood and everything. Anyway, the idea is we're going to do an event, a four-day event, celebrating the past um, contemporary, uh, past buildings, contemporary buildings and, fu and future buildings, and, yeah. and asking a different artist, like we did with... Picasso portraits yeah. to ask artists to respond to a particular building and do something right, right, inspired right. by it. So I'm going yeah. to get you involved. Yeah, I tell you what's, what's interesting about that because during the lockdown, I went around and took loads of photographs. My big series of paintings, I'm going to do really big cityscapes, but done in my style. Wow. Like, like almost like, but little figures, but big, like very spectacular, lots of light diffraction, lots of shading. That's, I'm not, but, this big because I'm supposed to have a, an exhibition in Leadenhall Market next year, so wow. this could be another one. Oh, it could so, be, it could feed into the uh, the yeah. general atmosphere. General thing, yeah. When I was walking through Seoul, for example, it's just when no one's no one's there, you can see the perspective so much more. And I was in, I took all these photographs, and it's just amazing, you know. And so, I'm that's my because it, it basically is where I wanted to go with these paintings anyway. But people keep on commissioning me for doing the things. They go, oh, I like that one. Can you do one of those? But now I'm selling enough paintings. I can actually take a month off and do these big ones. You know, wow. And, this, you know, and are you, is that is that um, is, is that a, a burgeoning part of your uh, commercial life then now? It now is, you know, because don't forget, I was a DJ, of course. That went down the shoot to COVID. I'm also a film journalist. So the two things that were giving me money just died overnight. And uh, I accidentally did a picture of a zoot suit i'd meant to send it to my friend to say do you think i could sell these it ended up it ended up on my buddy timeline uh right. the next thing i'll have one i'll have one i'll have one and, I said, and then i just keep on putting them they keep on selling 
So it's something that's going to crept back into my life. It's something I always knew I was going to do because that's what I came to London for. That's what I mean. I started drawing and painting when I was three. I never had toys. I just had colouring books. I just had, not colouring books, I just had, that's all I did. Big stack of pencil, big stack of books. Like that. that was my Christmas present. So it was something I, I, I kind of, I, I was meant to do it anyway. But I think it's, it's funny that I've always said I was going to do it. I didn't think a pandemic would push me into it. Which is it's quite interesting, isn't it? You know, and now it's going to leave some bounds, you know. So, But I'm dying to do these big panoramic, very powerful, like almost like turners, but in a more angular style, you know, like that. But I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm, you, ma you mask tape the the lines and then you have this big stippling brush which i used to do when i used to do marbling and you stipple it so and with layer and layer and layer and sometimes you use pva with your acrylic so you get this real translucent yes. so you get like maybe six seven layers in the paint again so that's that it's a different style it's not a brush it's a it's a it's a stippling style yes. so and i've done it i did it in the wag club so it, that's why when i did it in the wall of the wag club i did it and i knew right this, that is fucking spectacular in fact um, David Sewell, you know, the oh, art yeah. critic, came and saw it and he was like, Brian Sewell. The Brian Sewell, the most amazing. He went, This reminds me of some Berlin nightclub in the 30s. Kaleidoscopic <laughs> art on the wall. Did you do that? They went, You should do this all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Brian that was, that was 80, 85. But wow. I, you know, when you hit something, and you know it's fucking really good, and, yeah. and I've just been building up to it. So now I've got a load of canvases. So I'm now I've got two reasons to to do it. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I would. Do you know what? I I, I really like your work, and I think oh, it's an obvious thing. You know, there's another friend of mine. Um, you remember Spears, right? Spears, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spears, and um, he he um, he's a great graphic designer. And I was always mm. saying to him right from the start, he used to do paintings and graphic design. I said, yeah. just knock all this fucking music thing in the in the yeah. end and just just do what you're yeah. born to do, which is this shit. It's really good. Yeah. And he went, yeah, no, no, no. And he's still performing live and he's still doing everything. No, I saw him the other week. Did you ever see the other guy? He, he was, what was his name? He was a great reggae DJ. He used to have a quiff dressed in skin and clothes. He used to be the graphic designer for Green Sleeve Records. No, I didn't know. I don't know that. I think he's from Sheffield. What's his name? I can't remember his name. But you, he was a, he was, he was Fizz's best friend. Really? What was so, he called then? Oh, I, I do know him. Hold on, I can't remember his name though. Yeah, inside Burns. Yeah, brown hair, quiff. Yeah, yeah. Always yeah. Dr. Martin's on and jeans with yeah, the, with the, with yeah, the, yeah. the, the bedroom and with the braces. I've forgotten about him actually. Yeah, interesting. He's, he's, I could, if, I, he's on my internet in that my internet thing, my Facebook thing, but he doesn't really respond. But he was another yeah. one that was you know he did all those those illustrations on green sleeves. You know, you think you think that's him anyway. Great graphic designer, but I haven't seen him in years. So exactly. and he, when I did my first warehouse party in 78 we played a mixture of electro funk and dub reggae he did a dub set so that was quite a mixture that was wow. yeah we had, yeah, we had uh, excellent we, we had blue movies on the ceiling going backwards <laughs> with, with, with super 8 50s ones you know men with socks on and quiffs and you know <laughs> we had a we had a naked so uh, <laughs> we had a, a naked snake charmer who didn't at all look like a picture she was about Ten stone heavier. <laughs> That's the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant! Um, you're a style commentator as well, aren't you? Really, you've done lots yeah. of things for magazines and stuff. 
Yeah, well, I was kind of dragged into that, really, because cause I, I, I had my own label, Sullivan Suits, after St. Martin's, and I, you know, then I was designing clothes for, I think I even did one for Glenn, I think. But I used to do them for Spandau, George Michael, um, that's Wham, I did them for Madness, I did them, I used to take them to a, design them and take them to a tailor and get them made up individually. So I did that for many years, and then I started working for Loaded in the 90s, and, uh, you know, the guy, they just thought I was well-dressed. So they said, do you want to be our associate fashion editor? So I used to do these wacky wow. things. I did things like, you know, pe people in three pieces on a trampoline, but you, like, like reading the paper. I did all these mad things. I recreated, like, had the movie. Uh, I recreated all these, like, mean streets I did. And just all these wacky ideas I did anyway with all these clothes. And then from that, I, I went on to uh, GQ where I was a style editor for a few years. Wow, and I still get asked and all that business. I mean, I used to do a lot, lot of styling for big companies and big things. And I was, yeah, I've, you know, I was style. I've done lots of styling for Italian Vogue, for example, and Lomo Vogue. I, most of the styling I did in the nineties was for Italian Vogue, uh, Lomo Vogue. Sorry, I haven't done it for a while though, because now the last job I did was for Lomo Vogue. They actually gave me the clothes I could use. Basically, the, these are the labels you can use. You oh, know, okay. oh right. Okay. Was advertised, uh, and this is your color palette. That's not styling. Styling's no. having a bit of art. Throwing a curveball, you know, like yeah. you know, having one of those jackets on, but maybe having a something you found in a jumble sale. That's yeah. what styling is—is is mixing it up. Exactly. But it's not and like it, that anymore. It's and and you, you, yeah, exactly. So your um, radio show on Soho Radio is very popular, isn't it? And you uh, you put those playlists up on yeah I was number two in the worldwide global funky chart the other like, couple of weeks ago which is nice number two I was number nine last week as well and the one I did this week was already already got to fourteen so uh, but still yeah a lot of listeners you know I you know I have guests on like yourself to talk and yeah just played wide ranging mix of music you know play all sorts really I need to come on your Depends, show I'd make no plan about. Oh please, please come on in um, January. Yeah, yeah. Okay. January. We'll talk I mean, offline got... about it. Exactly. Put absolutely, it on your list. Absolutely. We've got yeah, a lot. Like you did. We've got a lot on, to please. talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, just to get a few more, drop a few more names. Um, mm. I mean, you you hung out with Bowie and Iggy and all that lot, didn't you, when you were running yeah. your clubs? So have you yeah. got any interesting or funny stories about? People like that. Well, the, the, the funniest story, isn't it? Well, not funny. A funny story is when uh, Iggy Pop came and stayed in my flat in 1979, and he was playing at the Rainbow, and the night, and he was going out with my my then soon to be wife's best friend, who was staying with us, Ellen Canelli, and name was, and he the night before he played in Marseille, and he called all Frenchmen faggots, and they beat the shit out of him. <laughs> so he had to come some. Somewhere where was out of the way, so of course she she, she said, "Can you come and stay there?" So I went, "Well, fine." It, he turns up, Iggy Pop shirt off, hella bruises. Anyway, Saturday night this is, I can hear all the squeaking of the bed beds and all that shagging and all that business. <laughs> he next knocks on my door. Yeah, and he says, uh, "Hey, quiz man, can I get some kawazi?" Hey, I said, "This is London, Jim. We'll get you there." Hey man, so I took him. Luckily, I I had a I knew the local Greek um, grocery shop who opened early early, and I said, yeah, "Give me a bottle of Metaxa rum." I said, "Go on." He picked. Well, he picked a little one. 
it's weird. You know, if you hour later, hey man, can I get some more there? Oh, no. And this went on all day. And then we were sitting, me and him were sitting around the kitchen table, and uh, he said, hey man, I can't be doing this anymore. I'm too old for this. He's about 30 at the time. He's covered in bruises, don't forget. And he, and he says, I said, well, why don't you just do cover versions of, of like, you know, Sinatra or, you know, <laughs> And Chris, I said, why? Because I am rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> that night, I was invited by Francesca von Habsburg, or von, uh, she was von Tyson, and I went to her flat. And, of course, they were all there, Grace Jones. And anyway, so I introduced Iggy to Jim, to Anita Pallenberg and Marion Faithful, who I knew anyway. And, I, and he disappeared. He oh. left all his stuff in my house. And the next day, I got a call from somebody. Hello, this is this is David. I went, hello, David, who are you? David Bowie. I went, fuck off. It's oh. off. <laughs> no, it is oh. David Bowie. I went, come on, mate. He says, is, he said, Jim was staying with you last night, wasn't he? I went, yeah. He said, but he's left his bag behind us. He went, yeah. His passport. I went, yeah. His wallet. I went, yeah. <laughs> he said, can I come and pick it up? <laughs> Later, fucking limousine pulls up. David Bowie on the knocking on the door. Got down to give him his bag. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> oh, we we went on tour with Iggy Pop, and he he, he would. Oh my god! If he, yeah. the the short straw was having a room next to him in the hotel. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Shagging all night with a string of women that have been yeah. sourced yeah. from the audience. Yeah. Just yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Um, and when he's back at my house, he's the bed. He did what, sorry? When he's back at my house, the bed's, when he's uh -huh. at my house, the bed squeaks squeaking like for about six hours. <laughs> it's like a symphony of bed squeaking. He <laughs> 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 said, recorded it. It could have been a good rhythm track. <laughs> you should have done. Um, so I'm going to blow some smoke up your ass now. So I wrote down, I wrote down some things when I was making notes. I was going, you are a real Renaissance man, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's what they tell me. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, you really are active in so many different fields. Yeah, and yeah, I've yeah. got total admiration for that. But also, you know, you're you're a humanitarian. You're a socialist as well, like me. And I'm always trying to give examples of people who are socialist to people so they don't think it's a dirty word because no, I can't no. face this bullshit government anymore. Neither, so, no. um, yeah. They're just taking the piss now. So oh, it's just got beyond. They, they're not even. They're not even embarrassed anymore. No, it's they don't give a fuck. If I think they get off on on the kind of flash yeah, moment. I think, I think it's almost like going back to Louis the Fourteenth kind of times when he's like you know like they they actually enjoy. Uh, um, um, showing their, their omnipotence and their, their and the untouchability of them, I think they're 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 flowing on that now. I think you know, yeah, I think which is terrible for elected government to have yeah. no concern for the people who elected them, not even their own voters. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Anyway, it's time, to, time to string the fuckers up. I think. If there's a big movement to it, let's go and frighten them at least. Because they yeah, need yeah. they need frightening these people. They are they, they think I mean, they're untouchable. No, we need to reform the whole voting process. You know, it, we need a real clean out all of the everything in this country. Need, rather like the 
Russian Revolution, but not with such re results because, I mean, don't forget, people say to me about communism, it's always like Russia. I say, no, that's Stalinism, a bit differently. And I said, this is socialism. This is the socialism that was that in Iron Bevin gave you your dole, gave you the roof over your head, gave you the hospitals. That's socialism. Exactly. Socialism is being nice. That's yeah. it. Nice exactly. to everybody. Not ripping somebody off, not stealing your bit, and making sure that that homeless man on the street who's been sleeping there in the freezing has somewhere to go. That's socialism. Yeah. And exactly. if it means a little bit more out of your pocket, that's socialism. You know, it's not what they see, you know, stringing people up for, you know, at least, you know, and the thing is that the, the Western, I, I want to use a better term, I'm going to say civilization, the West have done such the right wing, done just such a good job of brainwashing. I mean, it's been going even from American comics. Yes, Brain it's true. Waves of like ch children, it's brainwash, 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 brainwash. And if you look at it, I mean, comics is a good example, actually. If you look at the American comic system, you know, the, whether it be Superman or whether it be Batman, it's all US, 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 US. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it's even here, Enid Blyton, et cetera, isn't it? You know, she was known for her, 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 was known for her political correctness, you know, like golly wogs and all that, really. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's here as well, you know. Even oh, it's always thing. been here, but uh, they feel really more emboldened now, don't they? So. Yeah, but we had it, you know, when we had, we had the Woods, I used to get the Valiant comic, and it was McTavish and O'Toole. It was like, oh, piano tooth, slitty eyed, you know, Japanese nippons. And it was, you know, bitches are coming. And it was, you know, it was, we, it was, so the propaganda's been, been, been slapped in our faces for ages. Right. And unfortunately, up, uphill battle. So socialism is now regarded with, with, and that's the, I think that's the, one of the first jobs is to rebrand it. As a society, rather like a charity is be, you know, we care, therefore we're socialists. And I think I like that. Yeah. We care, therefore we're socialists. Yeah. Yeah. We care. Yeah. Anyway, you can be the minister for uh, culture. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and I, uh, I I want to. I think I want to be Home Secretary because they got to yeah. got to put so much fucking stuff right. And yeah. I would never want to be prime minister. That's a, that's no, a poison no, chalice, no. I think. Um, As I was telling somebody yesterday, you know, I mean, this has gone back. To, we're almost at the point with rotten boroughs now when lords would literally buy seats in the Houses of Parliament. That's what's Literally? Happened. Literally. Quite literally. We're back. We've gone back to 18, 1815. Yeah. You know, but before the Parliamentary Reform Bill. That's where we're at now. The, just after Waterloo, that's where we're at now. You yeah. know, you know, Wellington, big fascist. You know, yeah, in exactly. We've got to get we've got to get rid of uh, uh, first past the post. We've got to get yeah. uh, proportional representation. Right, we've got yeah. to move uh, parliamentarians into a, a giant fucking warehouse near yeah. Milton Keynes, yeah, and, yeah, and put them in a three-star hotel, yeah, uh, yeah, and say, do what you're meant to do. I'll get yeah. rid of the lobbying process, by the way. Get yeah. rid of the corridors of power notion. Yeah. Get, get rid, rid of the people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and basically, I string most of them up. Is what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, in another term, what they do in intrinsically is treason. Yeah, treason. Act against the state, and they are repeatedly treasonous. I mean, it that is you know an act against the state. That's what they're doing. That's exactly it. 
So let's get those lampposts ready. Good. Uh, <laughs> okay. We're nearly at the end, but I always ask people, uh, you know, um, some kind of smash it type questions, like favorite yeah. things and stuff. So what's your yeah, favorite? Yeah. What's your favorite film? Seven Samurai. I love that film. Yeah. I love Kurosawa's films anyway. Rashomon. It would be either that or Tokyo Story by Ozu. I don't know that. Well. One is a great epic, as you know, and uh, Tokyo Story is a very small film about people getting older, and it's so beautiful observed. It's an amazing... So there's two films that are off this end of the spectrum, both by Japanese, funny enough. Beautiful. I mean, there's hundreds of other films I could cite, but they're the ones that always come to mind. Yeah, yeah. So um, Favourite book? Um, oh, that's a difficult one. 20,000 Streets Under the Sea by Patrick Hamilton. Wow, I don't know that. This guy, yeah, yeah. He was a guy who wrote Rope. Again, it's a very small story about a guy who lives in a he lives in a, a pub and he has this thing with a barmaid. And it's a very, no violence in it, but it's so beautifully written. And so the, the turn of phrase, just I think he's the best British writer in the English of the 20th century myself. Wow, okay, thanks for that tip. Uh, TV yeah. show, past, present, box set, anything? Sopranos. Sopranos, okay. Moving on, yeah. I like it because it's like it's like a, it's like a soap opera, but it's got extra added extra added extra added set. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, epiphanal moment in your life. Oh, it was going down the King's Road that first day. That was my that was my baptism by fire, and you know, and I loved being burnt. You know, that That's was it. It was like a new world I never thought existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, other musical artist or composer favorite? Um, I like Miles Davis as, as in his just just in his early days. I think Kind of Blue is probably one of the not kind of, is is you know So What is probably one of the greatest records ever, recordings ever. ever. <laughs> Classically, I like Rachmaninoff. I think yeah, I like like him. But I also really like Eric Sarty. I like the simplicity of Debussy and Sarty. Yeah, uh, that, that kind of impression. Train, you know, I think James Brown is the man who created funk. I love him. I love people. Man, I love like all kinds of people. I like. Yeah. I like the hard to meet. I like him. I like all sorts. I love craft work. You know, that's yeah, that's yeah. right for me with music. Um, favorite visual artist or conceptual artist? I'm not. I'm not really au fait with all those. I don't really have any truck with them. You know, so I don't go to those exhibitions. So I can't even answer that one. What? No, I meant painter or anything. Painter or visual artist. Oh, bloody hell. That would be hard one. That's an hard one. Uh, huh. uh, again, it's difficult. You know, I'd, I'd, have a, I'd have a hard job choosing between Caravaggio and Mark Rothko and Turner. Yeah, that, uh, that Turner exhibition that was on recently at went, Tate yeah. Britain, his early works, just amazing. Oh, incredible. Incredible. Blew my mind. Um, yeah. Which of your own work are you proudest of? Uh, oh, I think the Wild Club was pretty good myself because really it was the first club where black and white mixed. In I think in, it was critically important. Yeah, because before that you had because I was a soul boy. I mean, so you had black clubs, you had white clubs. You never the twain should meet. You had gay clubs, but that was the first one everyone mixed. You know, in in, in that's what I'm most proud of. It was the best melting point and put so many people onto such great. I, I get it literally daily. First club I went through was a wag, changed my life. 
Yeah, and I get it virtually daily. I had it last night when I was at this opening of two people. <laughs> so, you know, I went there when I was 14. I couldn't have got in. I went there to the jazz room and I never heard this music before. And it changed my life. Then I became a DJ. And now, you know, I'm, I get it every day, which is amazing. It's lovely to have had that effect on people. Exactly. Um, who's your favorite other DJ? <clears throat> I know it's difficult because it's really a personal thing, isn't it? Um, sometimes I ask this to DJs, and they're from a certain kind of style or genre. Yeah, I think so Jerry Dammers. relate to that. But I just wondered if you had a... Jerry Dammers. Really? I've never heard him DJ, so... He goes from Studio One to Scar to Great... Uh, really good early hip hop to funk, and you know he managed to. He's my DJ partner as well, but he managed to fuse all these things. I mean, I I find yeah, he's he's probably the one uh, for me anyway. I like most, you know. Right, and finally, I know it's not your set the central competency, but um, I ask everybody anyway. What's your favourite synth? Favourite what? Synthesizer. Oh, it's cool. It's got to be the G Juno eight oh eight, isn't it? Is it 808? The Juno? No, Juno 106. Juno 106. Then it was a Roland 808. Roland 808, yeah. That's it. Juno 106, yeah, that's the word. Yeah. I love it. Because they can't be reproduced. No, it's sound. true. I want to hear them, especially the early Electro records and the house records. They give it that signature sound, which without, they wouldn't be the same. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute joy, Chris. Me too, absolute pleasure. What a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful, uh, uh, it's been an hour already. Uh, oh my God, hour, what yeah. a wonderful. I know, well, it just flew, you know, because we've got I so much to so talk much for about. Having me and, uh, I hope uh, you'll come on my show pretty soon. And uh, Yeah, yeah, just let me know. You, you've got my yeah. contact details. Yeah, yeah. Well, just, uh, have a lovely Christmas if I don't see you. But if, if uh, I will be in and around the West End. I'm going to the Grouse Show tonight. I'll be there tomorrow because I've got a right. radio tonight, tomorrow. Yeah, I'll be pottering about anyway. All right, man. Lots okay. of love. Bye bye. See you very bye. soon. Thank you. Chris Sullivan, the king of Soho. Who knew? Man about town, uh, artist, glamorous, style icon. Entrepreneur, club runner, uh, musician, um, raconteur, I think is a good word for him. Um, I, you know, we, whenever we meet and, um, I've been a member of the Groucho Club for a long time and he's, he's always down there. He does DJing down there as well. Whenever we meet, he's, uh, we always have a great time. He, he's like, he reminds me of the kind of, fun we used to have in the 80s really and um, I'm very proud to call him my friend uh, feel free to email me if you have any comments about the program electronicallymartin at gmail.com and also consider if you would I'd really appreciate it consider subscribing to my Patreon page where you can get um, exclusive episodes and direct more direct contact with me um, and stuff like that and uh, the address for that is patreon.com slash electronically hours. And all the details will be on there. Thank you very much. Got another great guest next week. 
I shall see you then. Bye! And loving the podcast it's great hearing about what people who have slipped off my radar have been doing for the past 35 years or so tom bailey china crisis nick beggs particularly enjoyed the episodes with dave ball paul hartnell hannah peel hannah peel they've all been great to be fair a couple of ideas rick smith or carl hyde from underworld what about bt or square pusher square pusher would be cool who, in addition to both being gifted musicians, have been involved in the development of hardware and software. I'm not sure if DJs come under your remit, but what about DJ Yoda, whose mixes raised the bar 20 years ago with his use of soundtracks and TV samples? He also manipulates visuals in much the same way that Cold Cut pioneered. Keep up the excellent work, Martin. Many thanks. Filter sequence. Steve Solbay. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, you know who would be cool? Who? Would be Mona Lake, who is a producer, and he designed... Um, um, what is the fucking... Um, the, the, the DAW that everyone uses. Logic? No, not Logic. The other one. Cubase? No, the other one. <sighs> I don't know. You know the oh, one? Ableton. Yeah. Right. He's a producer and he made Ableton. <coughs> right. And he's also like a dance music producer. Okay. Um, this is from M. Bradshaw. Hi, Martin. Just finished listening to the Nick Beggs interview. Once again, I'm blown away by how you managed to break it out of the humanity in all your guests. Last week, I wouldn't have given Nick Beggs a second thought. But after hearing your chats, he's definitely on my good guy list. He's a good guy. A uh, bit odd, but good. Um, have you considered interviewing David Gedge of The Wedding Present and Cinerama? He can make him from a different place than you, favourite band The Gang of Four, but the way he's challenged perceptions and sought to always progress artistically without record company interference is inspirational. Not to mention the fact that, according to John Peel, he has written some of the greatest love songs of the rock and roll era. And to top it all off, he's a great bloke. Are you married to him? <laughs> Thanks, uh, thanks for that recommendation. This is from uh, NT9. Hold on. Anthony. Anthony Robinson. Dear Martin, love the podcast. Always a joy to listen to and hope you're enjoying lots of great feedback. Well done for coaxing Thomas into doing an interview as you discovered he's elusive and uh, quite a reticent interviewee. But he did it. You know, he's good, I thought. I interviewed him and Claudio back in 88 for Leeds polytechnic student mag around the time of act's snobbery and decay release so good to, that you'd never heard of the act album before talking to him so it really is a great canon of work with the brilliant stephen lipson and trevor horn on production still to this day has a core fan base please give it a whirl i have done and it's really good I and mean, it's quite full-on i have to say um uh, but have, yeah, please, everybody, have a listen to the ACT album. It's really good. Um, 
Found it on Spotify for you. Here's the promo video. Sadly, it was in the middle of the meltdown of ZTT, and the team just didn't get the radio and TV it needed. Thank you, Anthony. Martin Lawrence, apologies, me again, for another Anuka request, even a mention of this group centred around Nata Zichenko. Only I was reminded yesterday and completely agree with Thomas Lear about talking about female artists, and I think Anuka completely fits that bill. Only I'd be surprised if he's heard of her. Nearly every interview you've done, there's a mention of the folk origins of music, and again, I think Anuka have, if not the only artist apart from Florian Schneider with his flute playing that have combined electronic and folk so perfectly. It sounds interesting. Um, here's a clip of their most music, their recent self-directed video. So Anuka, check it out. And uh, where are we now? Stephen Emmer, who I'm about to publish an interview with. I'm a big fan of, fan of his work. Um, hi Martin, as an avid listener to your EY podcast, I suddenly thought to bring to your attention uh, uh, guests the following persons. Green Side, yep, we're on that. Uh, Andy Peake, Concert and Angels. Michael Dempsey, Cure, Associates, Roxy, ACT, Lotus Eaters, Richard Barbieri, Japan. Just thought I'd chip in. Anyway, hope you're fine. Thanks. Cheers from Amsterdam, Stephen. And the next one. Dear Martin, this is Carl O'Connor from, it looks like Sheffield, he says, up the Wednesday. Um, Dear Martin, really enjoying the shows and loving the great mix of guests. In the past, you've mentioned Vicious Pink on the programme. I've just noticed they have a retrospective coming out in February on New York's Minimal Wave, who have released Richard A. Kirk, Plumange, Hardcore, Oppenheimer analysis, amongst others. Just a suggestion for a possible guest for the show. Also, how about Chris and Cozy? Still on it, trying to get them. Uh, thank you, Mark. That's funny, it says Mark there, and it says Carlo Connor. Anyway, John Barber. Hi, Martin. Sincere thanks for the most enjoyable podcast I've ever heard. The Thomas Lear was brilliant, especially as I knew so little about him. My other favourites include John Fox and Thomas Dolby. Always interesting. I'd like to suggest Bill Nelson. I'd like to talk to him as well. Hope to see Heaven 17 again in New York one day soon. The last show was so much fun. Never thought I'd get to hear You've Lost That Living Feeling live. I'll never forget it. Stay well, John. Thank you. Philip Diaper. Hi, Martin. Myself, my sister and my wife saw the gig at the Roundhouse in September. It was fantastic. But what was incredible is that I was not au fait with the two albums. Huh. Zero as a Limit is now banging out on a daily basis. Isn't it fantastic to pick up new sounds and tastes after 40-odd years? Loving the podcast, mate. Keep up the great work. I'd love to hear Hooky Part 2. Thank you very much, Phil. Uh, Anthony Rue brilliant podcast exclamation mark it's hard for me to express how much joy I've found from the EY podcast 2021 has been a particularly rough year and listening to your interviews has been a real joy also launching me to dig out all my records and cassettes with the music from all the bright people you talk to I was in university in the Midwest US throughout the 80s, and the bands from Sheffield were my guiding light. Enough that I picked them up. Uh, I picked up my own Korg MS20 in 1982. 
My roommates were in the electronic music program at the university and we had access to one of the original Moog patch based systems. I think there was a bootler as well. I love the bootler. We made the machines go ping. My heart still belongs to synth-driven music after all these years. Not sure if you're still taking suggestions for people to interview, but here they are. Alan Ravenstein, Perubu, Laurie Anderson, oh, I'd love to do that, Caitlin Aurelia Smith, thanks for all the fantastic podcasts, Anthony Rue, thank you very much. This is Joe Black, Aloha Martin, just a quick note to say how much I enjoyed the podcast with Thomas Lear, what a lovely guy. I've been a big fan of Thomas since I first heard Private Plane on the John Peel Show in 1978, but this is probably the first time I've ever heard him speak. Kudos to you. Cheers. Thank you. Hello, Martin. This is Clifford Hill. Hello, Martin. I just found your podcast on Spotify and I'm overjoyed by such an amazing lineup of incredible artists. These people speak to a time and place that is dear to my musical pop life since my teenage years. It's wonderful to hear from so many influential and hard-working voices who changed music and culture and indeed the world. What a gift that you can tap into these brains and chat over old and new times. Hearing Heaven 17. Glug, glug. I grew up in Southern California and first heard Hem 17 on the world-famous K-Rock. Yeah, they used to play us in those days, which was then located in Pasadena. We actually visited the radio station, I think. Rodney on the Rock was a well-known alternative DJ there at the time. I likely first heard Let Me Go, I still have a 12-inch, around age 485, as that track got much airplay, but also Temptation and We Don't Need This Fascist Groove Thing, a song that is more relevant than ever now and still sounds fresh. Of course, Being Boiled remains the best of Avant Pop, both Human League's version and Heaven 17's. I was sorry that your tour was dropped in 2020 as I was ready to go. Hopefully a tour can be resurrected sometime soon. We're still... In negotiations, um, we're hoping it might conceivably happen um, in the autumn of 22. Guest request. Regarding people I've loved to hear from, I'm looking at your astounding roster of recorded guests, and I'm surprised not to see Phil Oakey. Yeah, he's not, he won't do it. Uh, otherwise, one great producer who comes to mind, Dave Stewart, yeah, Chris Payne, Chris and Cozy um, on the trail as well as Robin Guthrie or Simon Raymond. I'd love to hear from Adam Ant. I'd love that as well. Let's see if we can make that happen. Writing it down. Though I don't think he's much of a synth head. He's not really, but it'd still be interesting. Thank you f for all the great music over the years and for bringing these influential voices back to us and hopefully to a new audience as well. I've been telling all my friends about your podcast and the Patreon page. We can't wait for more episodes. Clifford Hill, California. Thank you so much. This is really doing my my uh, uh, enthusiasm enthusiasm pool a lot of um, good. Thank you. 